0: Bible with you. Uh, you could turn to the book of Psalms. If you don't have a Bible with you, that is also uh, fine. In, in your order of worship on page 6, you'll see that the passage that we'll look at briefly together. Um, also, if you're watching online, you, you might have the bulletin there that you've got on the website. You could also just Google Psalm 110, and you could find it there. Or even if you're here, you could always Google it on your smart phone as well. And so for our, our Christmas series, if you've been tracking with us in December, uh, we've been looking at Psalms from the Old Testament. And if you don't know, that, the book of Psalms is a book of poetry, it's a, it's a book of prayers, a book of worship, uh, that was written before the birth of Christ. But it has really been this treasure trove of words for, for worship and reflection on who God and, and what he has done Um, not only in the Old Testament before Jesus came, uh, but for the church ever since. And specifically what we've been doing is we've been looking at a number of psalms that are quoted in the New Testament, uh, the book of Hebrews. Um, It's a book that was written basically to show how Jesus fulfills and completes the Old Testament. And in in Hebrews chapter 1, there's a number of psalms that are quoted speaking to the identity of Jesus. And so we've been walking through those. And so today we find ourselves looking at Psalm 110. And so again, you turn there in your Bible, um, or you can use your bulletin. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord... Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sent forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power and holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn. And he will not change his mind. You are priests forever, after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the earth. Of uh, sorry, he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the the wide earth. He will drink from the brook, brook by the way. Therefore he will lift up his head." This is the word of God. Let's pray. Um, Father, I ask that the the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. So one of the the scenes that you have often at this time of year is the, the manger scene. Uh, and, you know, my, my daughter, um, Helen, she, she's three years old, as you often look at the little baby Jesus in the manger scene. But we often, I think, forget to reflect on who was the baby in the manger. Or maybe even that question may sound cliche of who is the baby in the manger because you can look at it from a few different angles. On the one hand, you could, you could think about the very obvious facts of the baby in the manger, that, that he was... A baby, obviously. He was a Judean peasant. He was a first century Jew. He was a son of Mary, an adoptive son of Joseph. He was a subject of King Herod under the authority of the Roman Empire. He was born of the tribe of Judah, descended from David, though by that time there was no uh, wealth or no show of the glory of David. But of course we know that there's much more. We're celebrating Christmas and we even know that, that our time is divided before his birth and after his birth. I mean even if you say common era and before common era it's still the same dividing date. It's, it's still the birth of Jesus. That That's this defining event for all of human history. So who was the baby in the manger? And if you were to go to the New Testament authors, if you had the privilege of sitting down with the people who actually wrote the, the New Testament scriptures, and you ask them that question, tell me, who is the baby in the manger? Who is Jesus? Well, they would probably turn to the Old Testament. And if they turn to the Old Testament, there's actually a good chance that they would turn to a passage that we wouldn't expect. There's a good chance they would turn to Psalm 110 that you just heard me read. Because this is one of the most quoted chapters of the Old Testament in the New Testament about the identity of Jesus. It's quoted or alluded to over 27 times. Uh, So it comes up over and over again. And so if we want to see who is the baby in the manger, and if you were sitting down for coffee with the disciples, this is likely... Where they would turn and that's what i want to do today very briefly with you is to look at the identity of jesus the baby in the manger from psalm 110 and the first thing that we see is that the baby in the manger was one greater than any earthly saint greater than any person who's ever lived and We know that that's a good interpretation of this psalm because it's actually an interpretation that Jesus himself draws out of it. Uh, When the baby in the manger grew up and was in his public ministry teaching, he confronted a group of religious leaders, and he asked them about how to interpret Psalm 110. He says, what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And then the religious leaders to whom he was speaking gave the very correct, theologically accurate answer of their time, and they said that he is the son of David. Every first century Jew knew that the Messiah was going to be descended from the house and the lineage of David. That was the covenant promise to David to begin with. But then Jesus says, how is it then that David, in the spirit, calls him Lord? Lord. Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And so you see what Jesus is saying. He's saying, yeah, you're right, this coming Messiah is going to be a son of David but he's far more than that, that this is actually speaking to the identity of Jesus, the baby in the manger, in a really incredible way. because according to his human nature, Jesus, the Messiah, is the Son of David. And so in that sense, um, in the old-fashioned way of using the word inferior, you could say that that the Messiah would be David's inferior. that he would be the, the junior, David would be the senior. But then, of course, according to his divine nature, according to his identity on a different dimension, different level, he is the eternal son of God. He's not just the son of David. And that's why he says that David, speaking prophetically of his own identity, says, my Lord. He calls the Messiah his Lord, even though the Messiah will be descended from him. And this is what the Apostle Paul in in Romans chapter 1, another book in the New Testament, says about Jesus, that he was descended from David according to the flesh, and he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And so you say, who was the baby in the manger? And he was the son of David, But he was far more, he was the eternal son of God, David's Lord, and of course David is called a a man after God's own heart, one of the the greatest believers in all of human history, and yet he's calling this Messiah Lord. And that's who Jesus is for us as well, that he is our Lord, and we're not the, the rulers of our own destiny, we're not the rulers of our own life, And I think that if 2020 has taught us anything, it shows that that we're not in control in the way that we thought maybe we were. But we see that Jesus is Lord of our lives and that it says in scripture that one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And we read also in Romans, I've quoted a couple of times already, Romans chapter 10, we, we read that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, like David here in the song, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But again, who is the baby in the manger? He's one greater than any earthly saint, the son of God. But then second, the baby in the manger was one greater than any earthly king as well look at verse 1 again in our passage. David says that the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And that's this image, almost this shocking image, this image that you wouldn't expect spoken of Christ, but yet it is of of ancient warfare where often a victorious king would, would put his foot on the neck of his enemies' after he was victorious in in battle. And it's saying that that Jesus the Messiah will sit at the right hand of the Father and that he will reign in glory and subdue all of his enemies under his feet, but it is the Lord who is subduing his enemies before him. And you say, well, how is this used in the, the New Testament? Remember I said that this passage is quoted almost 27 times in the New Testament, or at least alluded to, and of course, one of the, the greatest passages in the New Testament, um, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the, the church was launched at a, an event called Pentecost, where a, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Peter, the, the great apostle, stood up and gave this sermon, this, this fiery sermon of Pentecost. And it's probably the most important sermon that has ever been preached in the history of Christianity. And you say, wow, okay, it's the most important passage ever preached in the history of Christianity. What passages from the Old Testament would he turn to? And not surprisingly, he turns to Psalm 110. In Acts 2, verse 34, he says, David did not ascend into heaven, but himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so again, who is the one seated at the right hand of God, subduing the nations? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We read the same thing in the book of Hebrews. Remember, I said that this this series is the Psalms of Hebrews 1, and Hebrews 13 says that, to which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And so Jesus then, yes, he was the, the cute baby in the manger, but then that cute baby grew up was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, was tempted by Satan in the desert, healed, raised the dead, taught for three years of his earthly ministry, and then eventually he was given into the hands of evil men who crucified him, nailed him to a cross where he died bearing the wrath of God, bearing the judgment of God on himself, then he rose again from the dead in victory over sin, over death, and the devil. He ascended into heaven and is this very moment seated at the right hand of God in glory. And yes, his enemies are still here, but yet he promises to subdue his enemies. He will turn in glory to judge the living and the dead. And so, our call then this Christmas is to submit to the kingship of Lord Jesus at the right hand of God. And that's not something that is. That might seem like a terrifying thing to do or to say, but we know that that his yoke is easy, his burden is light, that when we when we bow the knee to King Jesus, who's greater than any earthly king, we'll never ever regret it. So again, who was the baby in the manger? He's one greater than any earthly king, greater than any earthly saint. But then third and finally, the baby in the manger was one greater than any earthly priest. Because look down in verse 4 of Psalm 110, it says that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Speaking to the Messiah, he says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And if you're new to the the Bible, um, you may not know the reference there. You say, who in the world is Melchizedek? And this is one of those really neat times in the Bible where one Old Testament passage is pointing you to another Old Testament passage. So we're being pointed here to the book of Genesis, chapter 14. And it's, a, it's the account of Abraham, who at that point was called Abram. And he went and, and rescued his, his nephew, Lot, uh, who had been captured. It's a, it's a long story, and he fought a battle and was victorious, and he was coming back from his victory. And he was met by this mysterious king named Melchizedek. And, and the, the text says that he was a priest of the Most High God. And you think, okay, Abraham, he's a pretty important guy, but it's Melchizedek who blesses Abram. And then Abram gives a tenth of his spoil. He pays tithe to Melchizedek before going back to his home. You say, well, why would David talk about Melchizedek here? Why, is, why this reference in the psalm? And the reason is uh, because in ancient Israel, there was the, there, just as we have three branches of government in America, they had essentially three branches of government. They had prophets, they had priests, and they had kings. And there was a sense of actually mutual accountability between the prophets, the priests, and the kings but that kings would get in big trouble if they tried to take on the role of a priest. An example of this, I actually just came across this in my daily Bible reading this week and thought, yeah, that totally relates to this text. It's Second Chronicles 26. One of David's descendants, who was not the Messiah, King Uzziah, uh, he, this is what it says of him, "But when Uzziah was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. And isn't that true that so often pride is what gets us into trouble, being strong? It says, For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. But for the priests, the son of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong. It will not bring you honor from the Lord God. And so you see then this this confrontation between the priest and the king. The king uh, being confronted by the priests, saying, no, you're not allowed to do this. You're not part of the priestly order. You're not descended from Aaron. And it says in the text that, that the king was angry. Uh, it, he had wrath towards the priests. And even as he was stretching out his hand towards them, leprosy, this terrible skin disease, struck him. And he spent the, the rest of his life suffering from a terrible, debilitating skin disease. Uh, and so you say, was he a descendant of David? Yes. Was he a priest? No. Was he the Messiah? No. And so he couldn't assume the role of a priest. But yet here, in Psalm 110, we see this remarkable fact that the Messiah, he would be the son of God, the son of David, but he would also be a priest, but that he wouldn't usurp the authority of Aaron. He wouldn't do anything wrong by taking on the role of a priest, but that it would actually be this priesthood that's independent of Aaron, independent of the, the system of the Old Testament, a sacrificial system. And that's what was true of Melchizedek, who was both a king and a king and a priest together. And so you say, why are you talking about this at a Christmas Eve service? Well, it's because this is something that was crucial for the New Testament as they were trying to understand the identity of Jesus, the baby, in the manger. Because listen to what Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5, says about Jesus. It says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed By him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also at another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so today, this Christmas Eve, tomorrow on Christmas, why does it matter to you in your life that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek? And the, the answer is that a, a merely human priest could never answer your deepest struggles, your deepest spiritual needs. Because even in the Old Testament, that the, they could offer sacrifices, but that was just pointing to something greater. It couldn't actually deal with sin. Uh, they were sinners themselves, so they were offering for their own sin and for the sins of the people. But we read in the Scripture that Jesus came at the end of the age... And in one sense, you could say he was the sacrifice itself that was laid down on the altar, the the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But then he was also the priest, offering up this this intercession to the Lord. And as he sits down at the right hand of God, he's sitting down as our great high priest who's bringing us our case to his Father, bringing us into a relationship with God so that we can have... uh, A true approach to the holy God of the universe. We can know that when He when we pray, He's going to listen. When we cry out to Him, He's going to hear. When we sin, He's going to forgive. And it's possible because He is our great high priest. And that's where we read in Hebrews chapter 4: that since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every way has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As soon as you reflect on the identity of the baby in the manger, as you reflect on your trials, your struggles this Christmas season, as you reflect on on all of your fears, all that you're going through, who do you need to look to? What do you need? Where can you find mercy and grace? How can you have confidence? And the answer is in Jesus, that that he is greater than any earthly saint, that he is the Son of God. He's greater than any earthly king, that he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And, and that's why the, the magi came and laid their gifts down before him, the kings bowing before the king of kings. And he's greater than any earthly priest, so he can really deal with our sin. He can really deal with our hearts, that he is the one who loved us and gave himself for us so that we can have access to God. And so our call then This Christmas, as always, is to repent of our sins, trust in him, see our sin counted to him, his righteousness counted to us, to to experience his love, his grace, his mercy today and forever. Let's pray.